Hey, welcome to E-Crime Bites, Season 1, Episode 18. This one is Anthony Boo Boo, and for you listener, I'm doing air quotes here, Boo Boo Gosha's ID theft scheme. And Boo Boo is the name that Anthony Gosha goes by on the street, and we may use it throughout this episode. Uh, I know we'll definitely be calling him Gosha, so get used to that name. And what we have here and I, I kind of alluded to this in our if you listen to our last episode I alluded to this what we have here is the same type of fraud scheme that we talked about in our last episode but there's a lot of steroids involved there's a lot more people there's like 30 plus conspirators the amounts are much greater we're talking millions of dollars and they end up doing some things in the scheme and the criminal scheme that I thought was pretty noteworthy. And I don't want to jump the gun and, and give away what they did yet, but I'll tell you, stick around because um, they did some pretty ingenious things here to get their money. So let's start with our case details like we always do. And I will go ahead with that. Seth, we are talking about pretty much the same thing as last episode where we have electronic tax filing. So Again, if you're from not from the U.S., at the end of the year when you need to settle up with the government, because throughout the year you typically pay the government, at the end of the year you need to say, okay, this is actually how much I owe you. And sometimes it's a refund back to you, and sometimes you have to pay the government. It depends on how well you estimated throughout the year. That process is electronic tax filing. So that's what the criminals used in this case to pull money from these stolen IDs, which is the second technology here, which is PII. We're going to be saying that acronym throughout this episode, and it stands for personally identifiable information. So what you have here is theft of PII or theft of identifiable information. And then you have the crooks then using that to file fraudulent tax returns in mass. And this is going to be an amazing scheme that we described to you. And then they get their loot and end of the day, they're done. So you want to tell us more about the crime? Sure. So uh, this was, as Jones noted, um, a, a large scale operation of tax fraud, essentially using electronic tax filing. We'll get into some of that detail. The crime took place from 2010 to 2014. Uh, the main crimes perpetrated were identity theft and tax fraud. But there was also this thing called SIRF, and not as in longboard on the water. This is S-I-R-F, or Stolen Identity Tax Refund Fraud. So that's actually, I guess, a, uh, an area of law that was created because it needed to be. <laughs> so if, if you, you can tell, tell us about... Yeah, God, I'm sorry. I was going to say, if you can't tell, we've come with a couple stories here of this is how people get... This is how they monetize identities is they yeah. use tax refund fraud to pull money and put it in their pocket. And it happens so much that law enforcement has made a term for it. It's called surf. And here we are. We're, we're telling you what it is. We'll put it on um, our glossary as well. All right. The criminals in this case. All right. We have William Anthony Gosha, the third, not to be confused with the first or the second. He's also known by boo boo or just boo or just gauche. You take your pick. We'll probably say so, Boo Boo or Gosha. 
I would have gone with Wag because those are his initials. Sounds way cooler than Boo Boo. I think of Honey Boo Boo. I'm not sure I want to be compared to that. And moreover, yeah. uh, this is while I guess, as you said, the first and the second uh, Wags were not involved in this case. We do have some uh, lineal family uh, membership scenarios going on in this one, which I think is interesting. Because um, if fraud is great, how about you bring your children in to commit the fraud with you? That's even better, right? And in this case, there's not just Gauche or Boo Boo, 30 other conspirators. So in a lot of these cases, we tried to give you all the names of the people as much as we can. This case, it's way too hard. I've researched this case very deeply and I get lost in the names because there are so many people involved. So in this case, we're just going to be presenting mostly the relevant people to you. Try not to get too caught up on the name. We have a couple main players. There's Gosha that we're talking about, and there's um, a lady that's coming up that we'll introduce you to. And then there's another individual at the end that you'll find pretty interesting as well. And those three individuals are the ones that we'll concentrate most on here. But I just want to note that there's so many people involved. So when you see these numbers, there's two things here in their crime. It's a lot of people are taking money from that pot when they make that number, but then they also have a lot of hands being involved with the crime so they're able to make the bigger numbers because there's more people yeah how about the victims, so, seth so the victims so we have some victims from the alabama department of corrections inmates we have victims from an alabama department of health database um anyone else that filed uh false returns in their name and we'll learn how many there were it was shocking and then generally i would say uh the U.S. government, the IRS, and taxpayers who ultimately are footing the bill here, uh, plus any legal, you know, um, ramifications, court court hearings and whatnot. That's all taxpayer money that need not have happened had Gosha Boo uh, Boo kind of gone to town here. So yeah, um, I'd say those are the victims. Keith, tell us why we're talking about this case today. Uh, there's a couple of reasons. One is this was E Crime Bites Nibble Number Five. So this was. Um, I don't know, a few weeks back, I published this as just a couple minutes update and it got a good response. So that was one reason. And the second reason, I can't tell you the reason yet because there is a move that the criminals make in here that I don't want to give away too quickly of how they get money once the bank stopped them from their original plan. That was next level and that was the main reason why i picked this case so stick around we're gonna we're gonna get into it and it's really interesting how they did it and then lastly i picked it because of the size 30 plus conspirators and to have this level of detail so that we can put the story together for you was just amazing and the size of the operation to me was amazing so that's uh the third biggest reason why i picked this so with that we are now skipping our front intro music. So if you thought you were just going to jump away, ha, 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 we're getting straight into our case now. I'm going to get right into this case and tell you about some of the conspirators that are relevant that we're going to be talking about. So the first three, they're all the same family because they all have this last name of Mitchell, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L. -L. There is Tracy. There's Latasha. She's also known as Tasha. And there's Demisha, and Demisha is also known as Misha. 
There's a couple more people we need to know about. One is kind of one of the kingpins here. Her name is Keisha Lanier. She also goes by Keisha Gray and Keisha Williams. And she resides in Alabama and Georgia. There's a fifth person named Makita Snell-Quick, who resides in Columbus, Georgia. And we'll hear more about all these people in the coming slides. For one second here for our video viewers, this is Keisha Lanier. This is her mugshot, and she looks pissed. Wouldn't you say, <laughs> Seth? She I mean, not she's not smiling either. I also thought the people that smile, the people who smile on their mugshots, that tends to be kind of sociopathic. So I'm not. I don't want to hold that against her. <laughs> yeah. So out of all the people, um, we're going to be talking about her a lot. So she was the mugshot that was the easiest for me to find too. So here she is. We promise you mugshots when we have them. And Here's one of them. Okay, we have another conspirator. Her name is Tamika Floyd. Now, Tamika resided in Salem, Alabama. Now, Tamika, between 2006 and May of 2013, worked at the Alabama Department of Public Health. And immediately you should go, ding, ding, didn't they just say something about Department of Health earlier on? Yep, we did, because this is... This person is where one of the sources of identifiable information for individuals comes from. This is a source. So through her employment, just through her normal employment, she had access to tremendous amounts of PII. And this is how some of it got into the criminal's hands. Yeah. So let's talk about Tracy Mitchell. So she lived in a city called Fenwick City, Alabama, and she was employed at a hospital on Fort Benning in Columbus, Georgia. So she had access to PII of military individuals. And some of the military individuals were deployed to Afghanistan. So if you're thinking about who's the best kind of PII to steal from, it's either probably people who are no longer on planet Earth or people who are not really around to realize that their PII has been used to commit crimes. So why not deployed soldiers? Honor has no place here. Um, so. Tracy Mitchell, though, as we mentioned, brought her daughters, Misha, Demisha, and Latasha, Tasha, into this scheme. I want to note here, Jones, this is not the first now. It seems like a more or less all-ladies brigade here, which tip my hat to the ladies. They don't want all the young white men getting, uh, <laughs> getting all the action here. And they keep it in the family, too, uh, in these tax refund schemes. Like I said, only one person tends to kind of burn enough collateral with their IRS or whatever, that they tend to bring in more people to yep. file these things. And you see aunts, uncles, sisters, brothers being pulled in. In this case, we have a mother bringing her two daughters into the scheme, which is yikes. Yeah. So then we have Talarius Page and Patrice Taylor, and they work together in a call center where they had PII. So if you're keeping count, we have three different sources of PI. We have the military base that Seth just told you about. We have the Department of Health prior to that that I told you about. And now we have a call center with two individuals that they have access every day and they just would keep information just like the other two and provide it to this group. So a couple more people to know about. We had a Sharonda Johnson and a Cynthia Johnson, mother-daughter. 
uh, more yikes, also in Fenwick City, uh, Alabama, and they both worked at a Walmart in Columbus, Georgia. But their job at Walmart was fairly unique. They weren't, you know, stocking shelves or they weren't at a cashier. They were check cashers. And if you think about they also then had access to PII, right? They had access to people's names, their bank account information. Um, so another source of PII for sure. That took me a while to find because they introduced these people and just said that they were part of it, but didn't tell me why. And I kept having to search and search and search. And finally, I figured out that they were check cashing. Sometimes court documents aren't exactly uh, no, sometimes chronological. Full story. <laughs> yeah, right. Or fully informative. So uh, I'll take this one, Keith. So background here. Let's talk about tax preparation resources or services. So several financial institutions, banks, uh, provide tax-related bank products to tax preparation businesses. So these banks allow a tax preparer, right? So if you hire your accountant, Johnny, um, to do CPA Johnny, <laughs> to deduct their fees directly from a tax refund and have those fees directed to the tax preparer's account. So think of it this way. If you're on uh, TurboTax, fairly ubiquitous, I use it to pay your taxes. You can actually say, you know what, I my accountant did my taxes for me. And while I'm going to file them, I want to make sure he gets paid. But I don't want to pay him out of cash. I want to pay him out of the proceeds from my refund. So this is a, a um, this is a, a product that is kind of built into tools like that, like TurboTax. And uh, that is not actually from TurboTax or Intuit. That is actually from a bank. And this is good. This is for normal good purposes. What we're describing to you, this isn't something the criminals, this isn't something special to the criminals. Any tax preparer would have products like this in order to provide it. And just to give you some numbers, like if I went to my tax preparer and they said, oh, we the government owes you $10,000, but it took us $1,000 worth of time to prepare this for you. At the end of the day, what I typically see would be a $9,000 check coming from that tax preparer because they're going to take their cut out. They're going to do electronically the filing and all that kind of stuff, and it goes into their account and so forth. This is kind of like a convenience product that these tax preparers are given that the criminals then use for bad purposes. Right. So what do you think happens? What do you think happens? Gosha's ladies become tax preparers because so, now they have access. Hold on, access let's jump in. Hold on. What we just realized, and Keith kind of just, like, you know, so clearly while there's many, many co-conspirators here, we just gave you guys a bunch of names. Gosha's like the, the head of the snake here. He's the guy, right? So just to make sure that that was clear. I'm not sure, you know, that's just, so what we've talked about kind of makes that clear. So who's the head honcho here? It's Gosha. And we'll find out well, the price he pays for that. But Keith, I apologize. I interrupted you. I just wanted to make sure that. No, was no, 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 definitely. I, I see this research day in and day out. And sometimes I forget that other people don't see the same things that I've seen a hundred times. So William Anthony Gosha, not the first, not the second, but the third. The third. He is Gosha. He's the head of the snake that Seth just told you about. So I just kind of candidly called him Gosha's ladies became tax preparers. So we're talking about Keisha Lanier, Snellquick and others, um, people that we've introduced to you and other people that are a little more minor that we haven't introduced to you. They have become tax preparers and they get this thing that we've talked about to you before called an electronic filing identification number or an EFIN, if you spell it out. 
and they make a bunch of tax preparation businesses because if you're going to if you're going to do a criminal conspiracy, you don't want one tax preparation business because of the if the feds move in, you've got other places, right? You got to diversify your crimes. And you know, you want to blend in. You don't want to have all your eggs in one one basket. So, because they've become these tax preparers, they can get all these products that Seth just talked to you talked to you about previously with the blank checks, the, you know, prepaid debit cards and all the great goodies that tax preparers are allowed to have. So from the court documents, we learn that Gosha and his ladies, uh, Mitchell and her children, Tasha and Keisha uh, and others, um, they use these uh, EFIN numbers to prepare and file electronically several false federal income tax returns and they anticipate sorry they directed those refunds to prepaid debit cards but also to u.s treasury checks and other banks that distributed the refunds via checks or prepaid debit cards now this is key as part of this conspiracy these numbers keith they're going to blow you away well you already yeah. know they're going to blow our audience away <laughs> uh the defendant and others uh would and did file over seven thousand federal income tax returns from 2012 and it was a total refund number of over 19 million dollars in tax refunds i'm going to repeat those numbers because it took me a minute to process that Seven thousand income tax returns were filed in three years and they claimed over 19 million dollars that is extraordinary it I can't remember the exact numbers of the Michael Mann conspiracy that we talked about, but I believe this puts him in that realm yeah. of the Michael Mann Steiner story that we joke about all the time. Uh, and and they're doing it with a completely different type of criminal technology using tax refunds instead of uh, loans or banks, which is just right. amazing. So remember when back said, why'd you pick this case? Look at the size of the 7,000. It's just amazing. Yeah. So how do they file fraudulent tax returns? They use the same low tech technology that we've talked about in prior episodes, which is they go get stolen IDs and they go get them from uh, the Alabama Department of Corrections, because like we talked about in the last episode, inmates have their names, date of birth, social security numbers on all these check-in lists. And that was actually one of the first ones that I found listed in the court documents was they said that Keisha Lanier received stolen IDs on November 1st of 2010 and it came from the Department of Corrections and I thought when I picked these cases independently they didn't really have anything to do with each other this case today and prior case episode 17 from last week but it was interesting that both cases Department of Corrections was a source of stolen IDs and just the researcher in me wonders how many, if this is actual a trend or if I just accidentally picked two cases that came out of Department of Corrections, but it ends up being a very good source of data for them. So, Gosha's the one that gave Lanier this Department of Correction data because there's this whole network of people working on this criminal conspiracy. We talked about the sources of PII up front with a bunch of people's names. Basically, they gave it to Gosha, and then Gosha, being the head of the snake that Seth talked about earlier, then distributed it to Lanier. 
But I do want to note that it's not like we're talking about Lanier a lot in here. He did this with other people too. In the court documents, it says the same exact thing that we're talking about with Lanier, he does with other co-conspirators. Um, they named some other ones, Calvin Perry, Ernest James Simmons Jr., Pamela Ann Smith, and so forth. Similar schemes. So even though we're describing one to you, imagine when you have 7,000 returns that you have to file, you have to have a lot of these little, I don't even know how to categorize it, Seth, uh, people working for you, bringing you these names in order to get up to 7,000 in order to file them. Yep. All right. So... In November of 2010, you know, uh, Kesha, Keisha Lanier obtained an EFIN number, right? Electronically filed um, tax number here. Identification number. Thank you. Excuse me. Then she went to town, right? She yep. prepared and filed several false 2020 for 2010 prior tax year in April and May of uh, 2011 tax returns to 2010. And we learned that there were three alone that totaled looks like almost um, you know, $12,000, $3,900, and This is actually, Keith, I remember in this case, the numbers were a little bit more diversified than in prior tax return uh, schemes where they were almost kind of yearly similar in terms of the numbers here. And if you're new here, you know that we talk about this on almost every episode. The government only charges a subset of what they probably could. And here, Seth's talking about a few charges, but remember, we're talking 7,000 tax returns. That's yeah. the end of the day. That's the big picture here. 7,000 tax returns. The government's going to say, hey, these 10 people were victims, and then they convict them on those 10 people. But there's a lot more victims at stake here that I don't want to gloss over. So then, uh, let's see, this would be September 27th of 2011. Snell Quick obtains an EFIN as well. And then I was like, all right, well, what does she do with this? She gives it to Keisha Lanier. Hmm. All right. So then Keisha Lanier has, you suspect, at least two EFINs. So she has two ways to file fraudulent taxes. Well, October 5th of 2011, Keisha Lanier obtains another EFIN because you need to diversify you need to diversify your fraud across all your EFINs, right, Seth? You can't just go oh, with one EFIN. Right. Well, think about it. I mean, if you have I mean, I guess you could have from the government's perspective, if you're looking for fraud, if you're a tax return preparer, you're probably gonna have a single EFIN, right? You know, and then you could use that across multiple, multiple clients. But because this was a large set of conspirators and this is a much larger operation, they were frankly smart. To have multiple EFINs here, I guess to throw, you know, the feds off their track, so to speak. That's the only thing I could think of. Um, you know, obviously, you don't put all your eggs in one basket, kind of thing. So we know. Flash forward a year to July of 2012, fraudulent filings occurred. Court documents state that uh, Keisha Lanier sent an email to Snell Quick, listing account numbers and the personal information of a couple of people. And that Snell Quick then filed false 2011 federal income tax returns in the same name of those people. And she continues, Snell, Snell Quick in, it'd be August 12th of 2012, continued filing false returns. Um, let's see, they give an example of Zelo claiming a refund in the amount of $919. 
And then but they, the directed the tax the refund to who? To her own home address. Yeah, that you heard it right. So there is tax fraud going on, and the criminal sent it to her home address. I did not make that Which up. is weird because clearly they were sophisticated enough to set up EFINs and, you know, take a take, you know, a, a fee as a tax preparer would, right? Wouldn't they be smart to continue having I don't know, send it to a debit card or something like that, right? Where it's a little bit harder to uh, you know, back into directly who the person, you know, is getting the money. So I don't know. I just that that kind of was weird to me that they were slick in some parts of this crime, but very unslick in other parts. Either they didn't listen to the person that said, don't send it to your home address, or they were doing something shady to try to make more money, maybe, from that the other people didn't know about. I don't know. Seems yeah. weird. Yeah. But in um, September 1st of 2012, we have, now we know of more stolen PII. And this one comes from the Alabama State Databases. And specifically, it came from Tamika Floyd. And if I memory serves me, she worked at the Department of Health in Alabama. There are names, dates of birth, social security numbers, and this is all stuff you need to file tax returns. And what did she do with it? Took it right over, gave it to Gosha, who then distributed it to Keisha Lanier and all the others in the conspiracy. Right. That's called conspiracy, right. So the court documents talk about um, how in September of 2012, and there's multiple unknown precise dates, Tracy Mitchell and Tasha Mitchell, so that's mother, daughter, and others obtained from individuals um, who had access to PII from a database maintained by an Alabama state agency, that's the Department of Corrections, um, the means of identification of individuals, including their names, dates of birth, and social security numbers. And they continue. They continue. Tracy Mitchell then goes to her place of employment, which was Fort Benning, and started obtaining PII of military personnel and their families because a lot of times these military, the people that are serving will bring their family there and they will all use the same services. So it's not just the military people, it's their families too that were victims. Right. If you recall, these were soldiers who were deployed to Afghanistan. So was, I don't know. I just found that to be really douchey. <laughs> yeah, that that stung. So more fraudulent filings uh, on several dates. Also, between September and January, September 2012 and January of 2013, uh, a hilarious page. We mentioned that person earlier obtain a PII through her employment with Company A. So this is the call center. And they're here. There's what, like six different names that are listed here, um, all filed in again between uh, September of 12 and looks like also uh, December of 2012. So it continued. Patrice Taylor also worked at that call center and uh, also was she. So she had sent um, several false fraudulent tax returns also at the end of 2012. Well, she found the PII through her employment and provided it to Gosha. Right. I apologize. Right. Two-step yeah. process. First, get the PII, then send it over to Gosha, who then filed with his with his crew. I apologize. 
And so throughout November, Snowquick and Lanier applied for these bank products because they are tax preparers, like we discussed earlier. And they specifically wanted these checks, these blank checks that they could print for their tax preparation companies. And time moves on in 2013, more EFINs are obtained by this whole group. More bank products are ordered. And you're wondering, why am I telling you this? Because I'm showing you how long this crime went on. You know, we were talking about 2010 earlier. We're already in 2013 and we're talking about 7,000 returns. And this is how it happened is there's many, many EFINs. There's many, many bank products. And I just made the note that at this point, there's just way too many instances to go through each one. So imagine that they have hundreds and hundreds of ways that they could cut checks to people and basically cut checks to fake people and reap the rewards from it. Yeah, and just keep in mind, you know, if you're wondering how did the government not see this, the returns here were de minimis, you know? I think the highest refund I'm seeing here was for $5,900, right? So the average refund here was significantly lower than that. It was $2,000, $2,100, $1,800. So as opposed to like a heavy hitter who has like, you know, a $20,000 or a $200,000 refund, this is small potatoes to the government, right? This is somebody, you know, that earns less than 30 grand a year, their tax is gonna be minimum. So I can see how the government, it would take several years to figure out this fraudulent scheme. And it certainly wouldn't be based upon the amount of the income here. So I, I understand the, you know, the, the idea behind this, this crime, which is, you know, you know, the government, you know, wouldn't even realize these are such small numbers. Who cares? Right. Um, cause you can't yeah. imagine that the, uh, the IRS does not have the resources. This is fairly well known to, you know, audit and check and recheck every single return. And the court paperwork goes through what each person filed, you know, trade, like Seth said, there's a block of returns for Tracy Mitchell that were filed and they were all within the $2,000 front range for the refunds. Latasha Mitchell, she files a bunch of within like the $3,000 range. I looked at some from Keisha Lanier. She filed a bunch in the one to $3,000 range. So they're all kind of in the same range. If you say it's from one to $3,000. And then it looks like they dipped down a little bit into the $1,000 range in 2013. And this is just the group of ladies filing just tons and tons and tons of returns and getting these, you know, each time a thousand to three thousand dollars. Now the kingpin himself, Gosha, then also files some fraudulent tax returns. Gosha's amounts are about the same and they have a block of table. I'm not going to read through it. There's like maybe 10 here and they range anywhere from, they start about a thousand bucks and then they go up to about the two high $2,000. And so the government says doing their full investigation says, you know, it's not that he just filed it. He also got the cash and used the cash. So they said on or about March 24th of 2013, Gosha uses a prepaid debit card issued in the name of a victim that we'll just call K with the initials of K N and withdrew cash that was funded by that victim's fraudulent tax refund. Right. That's how we pay. That's how we cashed out. Right. He had, a, you know, some dude's uh, name uh, on, a, on a prepaid card and it was 
he took the card. Same day, went to his went to another ATM, pulled out some money, different person. So he has a different prepaid credit card. So even if he argued, oops, uh, somehow slipped and fell and landed in my wallet. Now we know of at least two credit cards that he used on one day just to get funds out of an ATM. Right. So let's talk about evidence here. So the court documents discuss many text messages between all the conspirators throughout the crime. There's really nothing interesting here um, than, other than coordinating how much tax refund checks are worth uh, when they cashed them and had a portion of the proceeds. And as Keith noted, there are over 30 conspirators here. We don't have enough time to cover all of them. But yeah, I was going to say, I read through a lot of text messages and it was, hey, such and such. $1,000. Okay. Yeah. Pay it to this account. Hey, do you have such and such? Yeah. $3,000 paid to that account. Nothing juicy like we've had in our previous episodes, except for the fact that it's the freaking evidence of them doing their crime over text messages, because why would you talk to somebody face to face where it wouldn't be recorded? So here, this was the mind blowing plot This is twist the next level. This is the next level for me. stuff. So as you can imagine, over the years, this whole group, they're making a lot of money filing fraudulent tax returns. And eventually somewhere, somebody along the line says, we're losing a fuck ton of money and I can't figure it out why. Oh, it's this blank check scheme somebody's got going on over here. Let's shut that down and not allow this group of people to have a bunch of blank checks anymore. So what do they do? What do, what do good criminals do, Seth? They don't just say, ah, oh, shit, you got us. All right, we're done. And take their couple few million that they made and ride into the sunset. They said, hold my beer. I've got another one for you. They double down. They meet, they meet an individual named Elizabeth Grant. She is a United States postal employee in Seal, Alabama. So Elizabeth Grant, as you can imagine, has access to the info of the people on her postal route. Pretty sweet, right? For the criminal, because then they say, hey, I need you, Miss Grant, to provide us with addresses on your route of real people's names. We're gonna file fraudulent tax returns and have them mailed to those addresses. And we're gonna pay a little extra for you to pick up those checks when they arrive in the mail at this address. Will you do that for us? And she says, I'm in, you sweet bastard. Where do I sign? <laughs> so that, yeah. yeah, that just absolutely blew my mind that they bribed a postal employee, got them involved, and they were intricately involved in this criminal conspiracy. And now they're snagging checks that are going through the freaking mail to people that don't even know that they're having checks mailed to their house. They don't even see this. So we also learned that there were more United States Postal Service workers were involved. Um, we know that June 2013, uh, Postal Service, uh, let's call her a Postal Service worker, Elizabeth Grant, we just mentioned her, she provided to mom Tracy Mitchell and others uh, federal tax refund checks. But she, uh, person A also provided to Gosha and Tasha Mitchell and others federal tax refund checks. So it wasn't just that she committed the crime. This is Grant, Elizabeth Grant, Postal Service. She actually recruited other people. It looks like that other person rolled because they're not disclosing her name. Meaning rolled, meaning she probably turned state's evidence. 
Okay, I want to stop for a second because Seth and I can see this slide and you guys can't. But I, all the conspirators that we've talked about so far, I want to, I'm going to name them out loud to you right now. We're just going to name them. We got Tracy Mitchell. We got Latasha Mitchell. We got Demisha Mitchell. Remember, that's mother, two daughters. We now, I don't remember if we actually talked about her. It was Tamika. Tamika. Tamika Hoskins. That's a Tamika. Unless you misspelled Tameka it. Tamika Hoskins. Sharonda Johnson. Cynthia Johnson. Also mother, daughter. There's, right. There's Keisha Lanier. There's McQuetta Snellquick. Talarius Page and Patrice Taylor. Every goddamn name on that list is female, Seth. Yes, it Mind is. Mind-blowing. It is also the day on May 1st of 2014 that all of them were indicted <laughs> for this scheme <laughs> that we've been talking about. Yes. That's crazy. Typically, so. these crimes are very male-dominated, typically younger male-dominated. And I just went through that list, and it was just all females, and it was just uh, amazing. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. May 1st, not a good day. So let's see here. Um, for... Tracy Mitchell, her daughters. No, just one daughter. All the, uh, all the conspirators. This is all the conspirators? Yep. Okay. So basically in the indictment, it talks about how they used uh, PII to prepare and, and, and file electronically false income tax returns and directed the refunds of those to prepaid debit cards, treasury checks, that's the blank checks, and financial institutions, which in turn issued the refund checks via prepaid debit cards. So the defendants would and did file over 7,000 of these. This is from 2011 and 12. So the other indictment had another year here. Uh, and here the number goes up a little bit more to 20 million. I'm not sure why there's a discrepancy, but it was between 19 and $20 million. Pick your number uh, in, in false refunds. It's really a, a, an astonishing crime. What's now more the astonishing counts, I'm sorry, yeah, I didn't go through the counts, right? Keith, why don't you take us through the counts? There's a hundred and fucking 16 counts on them. And I, I try, I'm going to categorize them. So don't worry. And we're not going through all of them. Count one is the big one. They usually put the big ones up front. Conspiracy to defraud the United States. Okay? Yes. Clearly. Then we have counts two through 33, which are wire fraud. So imagine something transmitted on the internet. It's the reason why we're having e-crime bites episode here there's text messages that would count for wire fraud counts 34 through 57 is mail fraud because they bribed postal employees and did all that crazy stuff so they not only have wire fraud but they have mail fraud to deal with counts 58 through 113 is aggravated id theft which i imagine is probably a tough charge to face and then you have counts 114 through 116, which is possession of unauthorized access devices, which typically means something like an ATM card or something like that in somebody else's name. Right. So that's it. 116 counts. So if you're one of those females that we just listed prior, you're probably shitting a brick at looking at 116 counts. Right. So March 5th, 2015, we have our first guilty plea here by Keisha Lanier. So they charged her with a bunch of stuff. She pled guilty only to two counts, one of wire fraud and one of aggravated identity theft. But that's not the end of her story. 
There are apparently some competency hearings for Lanier, which is interesting because I would say anybody who's involved in this fraud scheme is clearly competent. Um, before she was sentenced, and apparently she ran, uh, and her bond was revoked. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she was allegedly captured and is currently doing time, but I don't. I don't know if we have the details on that. No, it, it all kind of happened at the same time in the court document timeline that I was looking at. It was just really interesting. There you go. Yeah. She tried to run. Yeah. They caught her and there was a competency hearing. And at the end of the day, the best I could tell, and I'm not a, I'm a scientist, not a lawyer. And what I took out of it was that they questioned her competency, probably to cover their ass later on for appeal. And it came down to basically her later on just saying, don't worry about it. I'm going to waive my right to saying anything for competency. So as the end of the day, as the court is assuming she is competent and she's standing and for all these charges and she pled guilty to these two. So then there was a huge day. Remember all those names I gave you and I said they're all indicted on the same day. There was a huge day. It was August 18th, 2015. And you imagine some prosecutor probably went out and celebrated big time that night because we have all those ladies names that we talked about earlier. They plead guilty. So we have Cynthia Johnson, she plead guilty to one count conspiracy. She got two years probation and just over $5,000 restitution. Demisha Mitchell, she pled guilty to count one and count 102, which is aggravated identity theft. If you hear me say count one, that's the conspiracy. That was the big one. Yeah, that and is the big one. Let's keep, you'll see a big difference between who we just heard, Cynthia Johnson and Demisha Mitchell. Remember, she's the daughter. Um, who clearly wasn't just a patsy here. So Keith, what did she get? Cause I thought this was interesting. So count 102, just to remind you, was aggravated identity theft. So that's the addition here compared to Cynthia Johnson. She got 65 months, three years supervised release and just under half a million dollars in restitution. So that's almost six years. Well, five and a half years she got and half a million dollars in restitution. Well, 440,000, I don't wanna we'll round down. What did her sister get? Latasha Mitchell counts one and 79 is what she pled guilty to. Um, the 79 being aggravated identity theft. She and count got one being the defrauding months. against the United States, right? Yep. And she got 36 months, two years supervised release, and just over a half a million. That's 513,000 in restitution. Yeah. So she got Total. quite a bit. She got 30 months less than her sister, but actually ended up owing about $75,000 more in restitution. I'm not sure which one's better. That's interesting. We have Talarius Page. That was the lady at the call center. Counts one in 67. Aggravated identity theft was the second one. 60 months. So that's five years, three years supervised release. A restitution of $762,000. Sharonda Quite Johnson. Quite a bit more than half my. Yeah, it's a lot. Sharonda Johnson was the next one. Count one. She got 24 months, two years supervised release. So 24 months in prison and then two years supervised release. And her restitution was 440,000. And it was 440, exact same, the exact same amount of money to the dollar as uh, Misha Mitchell. I found that interesting. I'm not sure why, because Misha Mitchell, they both pled to no. So Sharonda only pled to count one, which is a big one, right? To, to fraud in the United States. Misha yeah. did count one, but also uh, another count for ID theft. 
So um, I'm interesting. I mean, she got quite a bit more prison time, but they had the exact same amount of restitution. It's an interesting analysis. And then we have, right, let's see, I just did Sharonda Johnson, right? So we have yeah, Michaela Snell Quick. She got count one and 72 for her plea, which was another aggravated ID theft. She got 24 months and one day, two years supervised release and restitution of $199,000. Tracy Mitchell, that's the mother, right? That's the mom. That's the mom. Okay, yeah. so Tracy Mitchell, the mom counts one two and 58 so that was the defrauding the united states the wire fraud and the aggravated id theft hold on she got 159 months that's a hammer that's 13 years ish that's a hammer yeah she got three years supervised release after that and her restitution is one million dollars and let's see about 51k on top of that so yeah, a million just over 51. one million dollars yeah that's a hammer but that's not the worst of the sentencing we'll get to that and then we had one more patrice taylor pled guilty to count one that's defrauding the united states she got uh, a year and a day uh plus two years surprise release her her uh resolution was fairly nominal of twenty eight thousand seven hundred eighty three dollars so interesting that some things were exactly the same it was a little bit all over the place but that's not the good one. Let's talk about the big fish. There's two big fish. There's Keisha Lanier, and we'll get to Gosha in a minute. I'll take Keisha Lanier. October of 2015, Keisha is sentenced. So it looks like she did not cop a plea. So she gets 180 months, and that's 156 for count 18, and 24 months to count 74. They're served consecutively, not concurrently that is 15 years there's an additional three years of supervised release and and a restitution of wait for it 5.8 million dollars she's got to pay back and keith you know i always wonder in in a prior cases we saw where we definitely know that money was kind of captured you know out of these uh, criminals bank accounts and then separate from that they had to pay the restitution we don't know if they pocketed the money and ended up sitting them in some kind of Cayman Island or Swiss account where they were paying them back through that or not. I don't know the answer to that. Be interesting to find I don't recall uh, from the, the paperwork. And I, I will remind you, um, we said that she didn't cop a plea. Keisha Lanier actually did. She did plea out. Well, that was her plea agreement. Yeah, this is her plea. So that's scary to me. Years. I mean... So what that means then is either they had the goods on her compared to her co-conspirators so bad that she pled to 15 years. That means they were looking at probably 50, 60, 70 years combined. I mean, why would somebody plead to something that extensive when the co-conspirators got so much less? Um, that just means they must have really had the goods on her or she was really a ringleader. But wait, it gets worse. Well, we do have another player to talk about elizabeth grant from the postal service. Uh, yes service in february of 2016 she pleads guilty as well and i was like i want to know more about this postal service one and i went into her case online in the federal system and tried to pull her indictment and it was fucking sealed so i couldn't actually tell you much about her case at all other than i found the information that she pled guilty 
to, let's see, it would be three counts. One is conspiracy to file false claims. The second one is aggravated identity theft. And the third one is embezzlement of mail, which when you're a postal worker, embezzlement of mail is like, that's like what you do. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. So she gets seven zero months, 70 months. So that's what? A little less than six years. The term consists of 46 months for count one and 30 to be served concurrently and another 24 months on the mail fraud. Uh, and there is consecutive. She gets three years of supervised release and she's got to pay back almost a million dollars, $978,000 she had to pay back. And that's, uh, you know, we were wondering how much money did she make? We've had that conversation and many other uh, of these calls where if you're like a co-conspirator and you're kind of the, the uh, you know, the, the linchpin to make the fraud happen, you want to at least get paid. I don't willing to bet you, Keith, she didn't make anywhere near the million dollars she owes back. But that's conjecture. No, uh, I, I didn't see it, I, but I, I didn't get the impression that anybody anybody in this particular group got a huge payout. It sounds like it was so many people that the payouts weren't gigantic for each person. Like we've talked about in prior episodes. Yeah. So now we got the big dog. We got Gosha on June 28th of 2017. He's indicted on 35 counts. Count one is conspiracy to fraud the government. Similar to what we saw with conspirators. Counts two through 25 is mail fraud. And this is the IRS sending the prepaid debit cards or checks through the mail. That's each one is an, is an, is its own count. We have wire fraud for counts 26 through 28. And that's because of electronic tax filing. And you go, why is there only two counts for wire fraud? Well, like I said earlier, they only have to charge a couple and they can hold on to a bunch of other victims in case they need to charge them later on. And then counts 29 through 35 is aggravated ID theft. And Gosha decides to roll the dice in November 2017 and decides to go to trial and he's found guilty on counts 1, 4 through 25, 26 through 28, 31 through 55. And you're wondering, what did that mean and what he was charged? Okay. He's charged on every, or he was found guilty on everything except for four counts. There were two mail fraud counts that he was found not guilty on, and he was found not guilty on two of the aggravated ID theft. So basically he was found guilty on almost everything is what I'm trying to say here. Right. But don't let the lack of uh, counts uh, that he was guilty on dissuade you from thinking he didn't get the hammer dropped on him. He did. So in March of 2018, Gosha got his sentencing, 360 months, that is 30 years. That's 120 months on count one. That's 216 months on counts four through 25. Um, yeah, another, no, that's not too, uh, another 216 months, but those were concurrent. And then another 24 months on counts 31 through 55. Uh, those are consecutive. So total of 360 months plus a three-year supervised release period. Those special conditions of his release, substance abuse, um, probation officer, substance abuse, not he's supposed to abuse substances, substance abuse is probably like um, uh, a program rather. 
Um, any financial information has to go directly to the probation. So if you're ever able to work again, they have to kind of vet it, make sure it's legit, cannot obtain new credit without approval of the court unless in compliance with the payment schedule. You must participate in a mental health treatment program and submit to a search of his person, residence, office, or vehicle pursuant to the search policy, which basically means they can search him anytime they want. Yeah. This is a rough also, sentence. I also realized I did not make a slide on his restitution amount. So while you were talking, Seth, I pulled up his judgment document to see if I could tell you on the fly what it is. Oh, here we go. Criminal monetary penalties. Oh, you ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> All right, he's on the hook for $9 million. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So and essentially, 52, you can add 52K onto that too, but it's basically yeah. $9 million. Essentially, he got 30 years and owes $9 million to the government. That is by far, I think, the worst sentence we've seen on all of our e crime bites episodes in terms of total amount paid back and uh, time spent, time served. Yep. All right. So we are now at the end. I hope you enjoyed that. We tried to be as concise as we could for such a hodgepodge of a conspiracy of so many people. And that's my very first conclusion here, which is this is a huge operation. You're talking about 30 plus conspirators. And we gave you, what would you say, Seth, maybe 10 conspirators, maybe a third of them tops. Yeah. So we're only giving you a little snippet of this whole operation. And you saw the shenanigans that went on. We talked about 7,000 plus false tax returns, which, oh my God, I I don't even know how you would do that. The operation, you'd have a warehouse of people filling stuff out, I've, yep. I'd imagine. For $20 million in return. So it was not chump change that they were doing this for. No, and then we learned that these um, stolen identity tax return schemes are numerous, these SIRTs. And apparently it seems to be a fairly low technical bar of entry into this electronic crime compared to sim swapping and other kinds of things that we've seen. Yeah, because, you know, this actually leads into my next point, which is PI can be stolen from pretty much anywhere. We, we looked at hospitals, state databases, call centers, and so forth. And if you go back to what Seth was saying with a low bar of entry compared to sim swapping, you need to go to somebody that has access to PII that's willing to sell it to you. That's pretty much the bar of entry. Then, depending on how much of a criminal genius you want to be, you're either going to set up fake, you know, like these fake addresses to send these checks and credit cards to, or you'll be like a criminal in this case, and you might just send it to yourself and, you know, still pretty low bar of entry, right? You only need a mailing spot and PII in order to pull this whole thing off. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we saw that uh, Gosha's sentence at 30 years is one of the stiffest we've seen, as well as Lanier at 15. Um, and, you know, Keith is postulating maybe that, was there a plea offer for Gosha? You know, that would have been a quite a bit less than what it was, but it sounds like they wanted to throw the book at somebody. And the, guy, the fact that he didn't plead guilty immediately, they were happy to probably do that with him, especially since he was the head of the snake. Um, and I'll take the last one. Um, that postal employees participating here was not only surprising, but frankly, next level shit. Um, and, you know, I have some friends whose family members are in the postal um, office or well, postal department. And, you know, it's a, it's a very noble job. So it's disappointing to see somebody would sell out their country 
uh, for a few bucks. And with that, how do you get a hold of us? You can go to our website. It's eCrimeBytes, and I'm going to spell it for you. It's E-C-R-I-M-E-B-Y as in yellow milk, T-E-S dot com. And if you wonder why I'm saying why is in yellow milk, you need to go back and listen to the Rural Kingpin of Michigan episode. And it's all explained in there. It's a running joke. We're going to we're going to probably use it until we die. We're going to run it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not going anywhere. So when you go to that website, there's if you're on your phone, there's like this little hamburger looking three lines up in the upper right. If you click on that, you're going to see all our social media and our YouTube channel and all that kind of stuff. Have fun. Click in there. You can reach us on pretty much any platform, and we do love hearing from you. If you're wondering what you can do for us, please leave us a favorable podcast app review somewhere that lets other people know that, you know, we have a podcast worth listening to and that pushes us up the search results when people are searching for true crime podcasts. And if you haven't already, please do subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. We don't care what it is we all use different ones i use spotify there's itunes whatever it is you listen on subscribe there so that way every week you know when we release a new episode like this and i'm going to give you a little bit of a preview into next week which is it's a couple that cyber stalks his ex-wife I'm going to go out on a limb and say at least equal to dr shitbag ronald ilg that we talked about and i forget which episode it is but it was one of our prior episodes where he cyber stalked and stalked his ex-wife mercilessly well i found another couple that is comparable and it is so crazy that you have i just i have to have an episode for the the guy in there and then i have to have an episode for when they get together because it ratchets up and that's how we're gonna try to end our season one for crime bites and don't think oh they're gonna stop producing nope nope it's just in numbers we're we're ending season one just in the half a year mark and then we're gonna start season two for the second half of 2023 so there's nothing to worry about we're just doing it to flip numbers and to just kind of have it be nice and tidy with how it's listed in the podcasting apps and that's all i have do you have anything else to add seth no, no, it was a, this was a good one. I, I, as a former tax guy, I appreciate this one. Uh, I agree that the next one, uh, which is a two-parter is batshit crazy. So everyone, uh, buckle your seatbelts, but, uh, we've enjoyed the ride and we'll look forward to finishing strong. Yeah, we, we've learned, we have learned a lot. We've had sound issues. We've had editing issues. So season one's been a lot of Seth and I trying to figure out how to do this. And now I think we've kind of figured that part out and we can just pretty much do content and releasing from this point forward. So that's why, you know, kind of get season one behind us and we'll start fresh in season two with all our new tools, editing tricks and music scores and all sorts of new stuff that I have in, in store for you guys that you don't even know about yet. So with that, we enjoyed having you on this episode and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Number 19. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Thanks. So.